1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. It's very difficult to be surprised by anything that happens in college basketball right now. You've got nearly 1,700 players who have entered the transfer portal. Seemingly every single year, twice as many guys will enter the NBA draft than can actually be drafted. Only 60 players are selected. Year in, year out, well over 100 players. Submit their name into the draft and figure it out from there, I guess. So it would be hard to sit here and be surprised by anything that's going on. KU has added nine players. We told you that yesterday. Nine new additions. Those aren't all scholarship players. Nine fresh faces on the roster for next year, which, I mean, seems impossible just given the scholarship limits that you have on a college basketball team. But yeah, here I sit today on May 19th, truly shocked. I am truly surprised by the latest piece of news that we've heard about the Kansas basketball team. And that news is that Mitch Lightfoot is no longer the oldest player on the team. I never thought the day would come. I mean, first there was the Perry Perry Ellis jokes. You know, those got old after a while. Perry Ellis uh, played with my grandfather type stuff, right? And then Mitch Lightfoot, red shirts, gets an extra year of eligibility. Again, those jokes get a little bit tired. But no longer is Mitch Lightfoot going to be the butt of your old recycled age jokes because Jalen Coleman lands formerly of Illinois formerly of DePaul formerly of Iowa State is the new addition to the Kansas basketball team and coming up in just a couple of months Derek on July 15th he will turn 25 years old 25 years old He was in the same recruiting class as Kelly Oubre, as Ben Simmons, as Cliff Alexander. He is almost a year older than Svee McAuluk. Svee McAuluk was born in 1997. He hasn't played in college since 2018. Jalen coleman lands the newest Jayhawk, a year older than him. So if experience is what you're looking for, you found it in this kid playing in his seventh seventh, seventh collegiate season. Now, it's been a a winding, difficult road. He went to Illinois for two years, transferred to DePaul, had to redshirt that year. Next year, breaks his hand, only played in nine games, gets a medical hardship waiver, played one more year at DePaul, full season. So he was there for three years, only played one full season, 41 games. And then last year was a grad transfer at Iowa State which was his best season. The problem with him playing at Iowa State for a year, and I don't, I'm dead serious. And I watch college basketball. I do, man. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I i do watch games that I don't really care about just because I like to have some knowledge other than just reading box scores. I didn't watch any Iowa State. They went 2-22 and 22 last year. So when Iowa State popped up on the schedule, I said, that's one I'll go ahead and skip. They didn't win a Big 12 game. 0 oh, and 18, so I didn't watch a lot of Jalen Coleman lands. I didn't really know who he was. Averaged 14 points per game last year. Shot 39 percent from three. It's very obvious why KU went after him. He is a shooter. That's really all that stands out to about him. He averages about four rebounds a game. You know whatever. He's a shooter. He's a shooter. Career 37 percent three point shooter, but last year 40 percent shooter. On over six attempts per game. The question you may have, and it's a justifiable question, is how is this going to work? Because Kansas doesn't have any scholarships available. That is, unless you are of the opinion that Ochai Baji and or Jalen Wilson are going to keep their names in the NBA draft. And at this point, I would think that is the most reasonable opinion to have. And if we're going to go a step further, it's probably that Ochai is staying in the draft. Now, I mean, Bill Self just did an interview with the Kansas City Star last night, and he said, you know, they have until first week of July to make that decision, to withdraw your name from the draft. Now, they may not wait that long to actually withdraw it, but, you know, you got about seven weeks. What is that? Is that about six, seven weeks to make that decision? So it seems a little bit early to be handing out a scholarship because you probably don't know unless they've explicitly told you. I mean, they haven't even done the combine; they haven't even done workouts and interviews. So it's unlikely that these guys are already getting feedback. So unless those guys are one of those guys is just saying, "I don't care what my feedback is; I'm not coming back to school," that's why you would hand the scholarship out. Or, or somebody that's already in house sees all these other fresh faces coming in, all these new names, and they're saying, wait a minute, where are my minutes coming from? And they said, you know what, on second thought, I think I'm going to go look for somewhere else. Is this a case of a guy like Sidney Curry saying, I don't know if this is going to work? I, again, I'm just throwing names out there. But, like, guys like Sidney Curry or Dwan Harris or Christian Brown, like, you don't think they could look at the, the the competition and say, maybe I'd be better off going somewhere else? Can you tell Kyle Cuff, no, reclassify back into 2022? Hey, man, Hey. <laughs> Hey Kyle, how's it going, bud? I know you remember last week. Remember, remember ten days ago when you decided you were gonna go ahead and join us this year. How about you just go back to school, high school for another year? What do you say, prep school? Well, you do that. He's not coming back to Kansas. I feel pretty confident about that. What do you think's more likely here? Do you think it's more likely an Chai staying in the draft sort of thing, or that we're gonna see a departure in the coming days? You don't really have to hurry to like make that announcement because again, you could say that you're over the scholarship limit, but you've got seven weeks until those guys make their final decisions with the NBA draft. So what do you think is the most likely outcome here?
0: I think it's that Ochi staying in the draft. Um, and, and maybe you don't even think it's Ochi. Maybe you just say it's, you know, one of the three guys that's testing the waters between Ochi, Jalen and, and Remy Martin. One of those three is going to stay in. But I, I think, I don't know when Ochi first announced that he was going into the draft. Like If you read his message that he gave off to fans, it sounded very much like he was ready to stay into the NBA draft. And so I I don't necessarily think is going to get drafted, but do I think he'll get at least a two-way contract after the draft as an undrafted free agent? Yes, I do. And if that's all he's looking for, he's just looking for that guarantee that he'll have a contract and he'll get to play however many games in the G League and however many games in the NBA, maybe maybe that's what he's doing. Because to me, like, this isn't just a move of, oh, you possibly have a scholarship open, let's fill it. It seems very corollary with the idea of Ochai would be gone. Because guess what? If Ochai's gone, what are you going to miss the most from him? Probably the defense that he provides as a three and his three-point shooting as the wing. Well, you're not going to be able to make up for the defense. I mean, there's very seldom going to be guys on the transfer market who are a 6'5 athletic wing who are good defenders and can hit threes. Usually, you're going to have to pick one of the two. Um, so, you go out and get this Jalen coleman lands kid who seems like he's almost like a small forward version of Isaiah Moss, essentially. And that can maybe make up for some of the shooting you lose in Ochai Baji. That, I think, all kind of goes in together to make me think that Ocha is staying in the draft. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, it makes the most sense, but also, in the same vein, it... Doesn't make a lot of sense because I just don't. But
0: we've seen other guys, you know, enter the
1: draft. Yeah, and, but I don't think undrafted. those make sense either. Sure. Again, I will say what I've said half a dozen times on this show. Like, is your goal is your goal to go play ten, put up ten shots a game for the main Red Claws next year? Like, is that the is that the goal here? Look at what happened. Look at what happened to Devon Dotson. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if Devon Dotson had a second chance, he would have came back to Kansas. If, if Devon Dotson could have a do over, he would have stuck around for his junior year at Kansas. Because what's he done? He's been sitting on the, the Chicago G League team all year long. He's not getting any shot at the pro, and it's not a bad team. You know, so. Made like $300,000 to do it. How long do you do that for? How long do you sit in the G well, League for? I think you for? can only
0: be on the, the two-way for, like, your first, I want to say two years or something. You can only be on it for, like, two years.
1: Listen, I, I know there's no shame in, like, getting paid to play basketball, whether it's in the G League or you're going overseas, you wanted to go join the, uh, the Nigerian Basketball League with J. Cole. <laughs> like, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in getting paid six figures to play basketball. But that's not the goal and you can't convince me that it is like when these guys leave early they're leaving to pursue their professional careers and i get that but like if you're ochai and you saw that happen to devon like what just stack them up because you're gonna make money playing professionally you're gonna make enough money to not have to work the rest of your life if you play it smart is would you rather play for the main red Claws next year or compete at a for a national championship at Kansas? And you can say, Well, you're getting paid to do one and not getting paid to do the other. I get it. But like there's other factors to
0: consider yeah. here as well. No, but I mean it's also good to point out that like yes, you are gonna spend time on whatever G League team if you get a two way contract, but there is like a requisite amount of games that you have to come up for if you're on a two way contract. So like you're guaranteed that you're gonna be on an NBA roster, which I mean that is appealing for some guys to say the fact that not only the pay thing, but like for a lot of guys, if their dream was make it to the NBA, basically guarantees you you're going to make it to the NBA. You're gonna come up for a game.
1: Yeah, and listen, I don't want to like I don't want this to be misconstrued as like me saying you're an idiot for doing this. I'm just saying I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Right. That's it. I don't. I don't. I would. I, yeah. No. I, seem like I the most appealing I think that you know, if if we're
0: talking, because this is this is what is said a lot of the times when a guy goes to the draft, stock's not going to get any higher, right? Like like Malik Newman, perfect example. Malik Newman ended up getting undrafted, but was the stock ever going to get higher than that? Right. Probably not. You know, with Ochai, the stock can get higher. He comes back, better pieces around him. Maybe shoots even better from three. Maybe he does add a little bit to his ball handling game. Maybe he has a little bit more in terms of his driving. Whatever it is.
1: I mean that's it. I mean that's right. it right there. It's it's the ability to put the ball in the deck and go get your own shot. The potential's there that if he does one
0: of those things, all of a sudden you are talking about being a drafted player. You maybe are talking about being a late first round pick.
1: So that's why it is a little bit weird. Like there, yeah, there's a there's untapped potential there. So you're probably right. You're probably right. It probably is Ochai. I. I would imagine we're going to have to wait a little while to find out officially. I mean, Maybe OJ just comes out and makes a decision and says, I'm keeping my name in. It would just be odd timing to do that before you've gone through any of the NBA draft process. Because if you were going to do that, wouldn't you just have hired an agent when you declared initially and said, I'm not coming back? Okay, tinfoil hat time. I doubt this happened, but it's fun uh, hypothetical.
0: Bill Self. To try to speed up the process here he doesn't want to wait till July to know who's coming back who's on his roster he now can go to Jalen Wilson and Ochai. he puts it he, tech, he texts them in a group so they both get it
1: one scholarship left which one you is coming back first uh, I don't think it would be all that shocking for him to just say hey guys I'm not gonna wait till July I have to put together a roster I have a national championship contending roster. If I wait for you guys, I'm not going to get caught with my pants around my ankle. And all of a sudden, there's two pieces I could have added that I didn't because you guys spurned me for the NBA. So, I don't think it it would be surprising at all if he's coming up with a contingency plan here. And listen, Ochai is a better player by all accounts than Jalen coleman lands 100%. You brought up the reasons why earlier. Given the roster... If you, if you expect Remy Martin to be on Kansas next year, if you expect Joe Yesifu to be more like the player he was the last nine games than he was when he was the sixth man, if you expect Jalen coleman lands to come in and be a knockdown shooter, if you expect David McCormick to be the guy he was at the end of the year. I'm not even talking about guys taking steps forward, okay? Well, I haven't even gotten to Jalen Wilson. I haven't even gotten to Christian Brown or Dewan Harris or any of the unknowns. I'm just talking about if you expect the guys on the roster to be the guys they were the last half of last season, you've got a better team than you had last year with or without Ochai on the team. Ochai would be one of your best players, no question. We're going to talk to Jesse Newell, the Kansas City star, coming up here in a bit. I'm going to ask him this question because he says this to me all the time. Right, whenever I ask him something, he says, well, he always brings up this line. Does Ochai, the swapping Jalen Coleman lands for Ochai, does it affect the ceiling of KU next year? Are they unable to accomplish anything without Ochai that they would be with him?
0: Well, okay, uh, I guess a roundabout way of answering that is when you look at the potential starting five, what what would you just project the starting five right now? What, like Remy Martin... Joe Yesifu, either Christian Brown or Jalen Coleman lands at the three, Jalen at the four, Dave at the five. That sound about right. Yeah, I don't even know if Jalen Coleman lands starts. Okay, sure. Let's just say Christian, Christian Brown. Brown. Let's just yeah. say Christian Brown at the three. Are there any players in that lineup who you look at and go, they're good defensively? Don't think it matters. No, no. And, I, and I'm not saying, like, okay, 2018 team, they had, I think, like the 40 something, 48th best defense. Yeah, They still matter. made the final four. But. Maybe the difference between you and Villanova is having that top 15 defense there, right?
1: Uh, I'm almost done talking about defense. Unless it's Marcus Garrett, Yudoka bookie Defensive Player of the Year, Caliber Player, I don't think it matters in college basketball. But I think it matters to a certain extent.
0: Right. If if you tell me that this team is going to be a top 30 defense, awesome. That's all you need. They you will know? be. They will be. Because it's Bill's Sure. Yes. Because that's what I'm saying. That 2017-2018 team was near 50. That's and- good enough. That's good enough he got killed in the Final Four. The goal is to win a title, right? Yeah. The worst defense coming into the tournament to win a title was 37th, I believe. I think actually Baylor broke it this year. They were like 39th, but that was, you yeah, know, extenuating yeah. circumstances. Do you think that team, because again, like I said, Remy Martin, not known for his defense. Don't I don't
1: think it matters because I think the flip side of that is that mountains of history would indicate that, and I think Ken Pomeroy has written about this, defensive consistency relies more upon the coach than it does the personnel. Like, coaches who are good defensively are going to be good defensively every year. And if you say, what was it, 48th or whatever it was for that 2018 team, that's probably the floor, man. That's the floor. Look at last year's team. Last year's team's personnel wasn't anything special
0: defensively. I think this team could be the floor. Because if you look at that 2018 team, you still have Yudoka Azabuki manning the paint, right? They were 47th. I just looked. You still have Yudoka Azabuki manning the paint on that team. Devontae Graham wasn't – I mean, he was a fine defender, you know? I think he was on an all-Big 12 defensive team one or two times.
1: Steals. That's right. just st- – Yeah, stat- sure.
0: But he wasn't a bad – Accumulation. Defender. When you look at this team – so that's like – that's, you know, maybe one plus defender, one above average defender. When you look at this year's team, if that is the starting five, I don't think you look at any of those guys saying – Yeah, that's an above-average defender.
1: I don't know. Dave was okay at the end of the year. I mean, that's the most... Stretch five. Well, that's the most important position. Like, if we want to talk about defense, you start there. You don't start with Yessafu and Remy Martin. You start with last line of defense, rim protector. I mean, Dave averaged about a block and a half last couple months of the year. Do we even want to... Could that be good enough? Speak a breath
0: of conversation about, wow, with all the offense and shooting they have, maybe they could play zone.
1: No, but I think you can talk about with all the offense and the shooting that they have, can the offense be good enough to where we don't really talk about the defense much? Because that's the way yeah. it works, man. It's the way it works.
0: That's a good way of putting it. Uh, if I mean, they have the number one offense in the country, then sure, you can have the 40th best
1: defense. You can have the number five offense in the country and have the 40th best defense. Right? You, you just need. What's your niche? Do you have a niche? Do you have something your bread can be buttered on? That's what 2018 had, shooting. They had a niche. They had game in, game out, they were going to shoot. And if they were going to lose, so be it. But more often than not, those shots are going to fall. High variance style of play. It
0: worked. Yeah. I, I guess, I don't know. I just look at, like, Iowa this year, inbounds team. Third on offense, 75th on defense. Lost in the second round. Uh, you look at that's Ohio bad, State. That's
1: 75th, though. Like that's, if you're 75th, that means you're, like, the worst of the Power Fives or amongst the worst of the Power Fives. Yeah. Ohio yeah. State, you know, fourth on offense, 82nd on defense.
0: You lose in the second round. So, yes, I, I think I think you're right. But there has to be a number
1: where there is a cutoff there, right? I mean, that would be it'd be shocking to see Bill Self outside of the top fifty or sixty defenses in the country, and I, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. But if it does, yeah, then you got to be the best offense in the country. We'll talk more about that with Jesse Newell, the Kansas City Star. He'll join us coming up here in about fifteen minutes or so. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Breaking news, this important PSA brought to you by Manscaped.com. This is your pubic service announcement and the news you've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. This new trimmer was just released only moments ago, and we are one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off plus free worldwide shipping when you use the code RCST at manscaped.com. If you're still trimming your face with your ball trimmer, it's time to make some changes. And listen, I'm not going to say there's no shame in that because there is shame in that. What I am going to say is that we've all been there, whether it's because we didn't know what we were doing or because we were traveling, you get in a pinch and you got to get it done. But You're an adult now, and it's time to sort of step up your grooming game. You can do that with Manscaped. Nobody wants to end up with the pubes in their mouth, and I promise you your balls are going to thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RCST at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com when you use the code RCST. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. I was watching some highlights of Jalen Coleman lands earlier uh, from his season in 2020 when he was with DePaul that year. He averaged uh, 11 points per game. His three point percentage kind of kind of dipped that year. Can we blame it on Charlie Moore? (laughs) (laughs) He only shot 32% from three that year, um, but then went 39% last year. And it's funny his freshman season, all the way back in 2016. So I lied. He wasn't actually in Kelly Oubre's recruiting class. He would have been in uh, Sheck Diallo's recruiting class. Or uh, I guess Carlton Bragg was in that class as well. He shot 42% from three on six attempts. So like his his volume has been almost identical all seven years he's been in school, all six years. No, oh, I guess five years. Okay. Six years, five seasons. Volume's been the same, but it's fluctuating. Went 42 to 38. Got injured one year, so we wouldn't look at that. Then 32, 39. But career, 37%. He's an above-average shooter. When you look at what Bill Sof did with the additions that he's bringing in, and we're going to talk about all this with Jesse Newell here coming up in a bit. He went out and got a playmaking point guard, a couple of playmaking guards in Joe Yesifu, and... Remy Martin. You get a guy in Bobby Pettiford who projects to be perhaps the point guard of the future. We'll see once he gets on campus. You bring in Zach Clements, who was already in tow, but you're talking about a six ten shooter, right? Like a legit stretch four. And then you get this guy, Jalen Coleman lands. And by the way, you said that you wanted hyphenated players. You I lost tie on Grant Foster. You yep. get. Jalen Coleman lands so there you go yeah I don't
0: I don't even know if he's gonna end up being a good how many minutes he's gonna play but he'll play I and mean, that's worth he'll it. play yeah yeah but even if he doesn't you know you got a hyphenated player I don't
1: think this guy I don't think you add this guy at the last second unless you plan on him playing a role and I think and that's gonna be the big trump card he's gonna get to play over everybody and it's not mean he's gonna start but if anybody's ever struggling for whatever reason, there's a, I, Bill Self can just point to him and say, I'll put him in yeah. and let him shoot six or uh, seven times a game. Dependable 25-year-old that I
0: right. can just bring off the bench. Exactly. You, know what, you know what's crazy to think about, too? Like with the bench, assuming wh- whether it is Jalen coleman lands or Christian Brown that hypothetically starts at the three, if Ochai was gone and you had that spot open, whichever one was off the bench, you could bring in a bench lineup that featured Christian Brown or Jalen coleman Lance, Zach Clements, and Cam Martin, would there be a better shooting bench
1: team in the country? Are you suggesting a platoon system with all shooters? (laughs) Okay, so you put... Man,
0: oh my gosh, that's getting me excited. Offensive lineup with Remy Martin, Joseph Yesifu, Christian Brown, Jalen coleman Lands, and then one of Cam Martin or Zach
1: Clements. Yeah. I will say this, if... Ochai is, if this is to fill Ochai's spot, if he's going to stay in the draft, that's a lot of minutes. Like, the production, dude, you can replicate it. That's why I'm saying with, it's not a huge loss. He would have been one of your best players, but I feel like you have enough pieces where you can kind of fill in the gaps from a scoring perspective. I don't know where the minutes go, because I don't think he's getting all of them. I think you can kind of
0: look at that though with this whole team I mean, 30 what 34
1: I mean, minutes a game for guy yeah Ochi?
0: it's going to be tough to figure out who gets minutes just in general though so uh having those extra minutes could be important maybe you know normally we get into a bill self season and say well it's going to be about eight deep by the tournament it'll be seven maybe this is one of the years it's nine we have seen that in the past you know it, it it's kind of seldom it's it's more rare but you go back to like a 2015 2016 where you are playing more guys because you're kind of rotating. Like there would yeah. be games where Jamari Trailer, Landon Lucas, Hunter Mickelson, they're all playing, and you're playing nine, ten guys. I think we might be a little closer to that this year than we were in the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll have to once the roster gets finalized. I probably will wait till then before I start like putting together the rotation. Yeah, guesses, but- which are always useless because I always. I'm so far off from what it ends up being. But I do think it would be a good quick exercise right now. You have 14 guys
0: basically in tow if you're to assume Jalen and Remy Martin are back and Ochai's gone. So to get down to whatever that number, let's say it's nine, you have to figure out five guys who basically would not be part of the rotation.
1: Okay. Consistently. Well, then let's just go. Are we? Assuming... I don't want to
0: assume for this guy gets this many minutes. No, I'm but are saying... we
1: assuming Ochai's gone and Jalen's yes. back? Correct. Okay, I'm just going to go in order of I know they're going to, and I'm assuming Remy yeah, Martin's so, going to be there. Yeah, so if you're saying the guys, you are locked in, you know we're getting playing I'm going to go time. in order. I'm going to go in order. Yes. Remy Martin. Yeah. Big Dave. Yes. Uh, Jalen Wilson. Yep. Uh, Joe Yassifu. Yassifu, Yo- yeah. That's four. Uh, Christian Brown. Yep.
0: Jalen coleman lands. I mean, he might not be... Twenty five minutes, but right, he's gonna play. Right.
1: You know? Um so at this six. point you'd need a backup guard, so I I would expect DeWan Harris is gonna play. Yeah. Seven. Uh Zach Clements, your top high school recruit.
0: Maybe. Maybe. See, I wouldn't put him in the locks. I want to put him in the maybe column. Okay. That's all the locks that I have then. Okay, I agree. So now you're down to between Bobby Pettiford, Kyle Cuff. Then then actually, you know what? If we're doing it locks, mm-hmm. then I'm not putting Dewan in there either. Okay, I think that's fair. So between Dewan Harris, Six locks. Bobby Pettiford, Kyle Cuff, Zach Clements, KJ Adams, Cam Martin, Sidney Curry, Mitch Lightfoot, you have three spots between eight guys. And that's
1: if they're playing nine guys a game, which might be a little high. You know what that tells me, though? You know what that makes me at least consider? That this is not a... This is not... An addition to fill the spot of Ochai, I would just consider it. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it isn't. I would say consider it because if there's that many guys, how many of them would you reasonably say, they'd be okay with not playing this year? Because I think a lot of those guys probably came to Kansas expecting to play a role. Mm -hmm. So would it really shock you if one of them said, ah, you know what? Zero minutes versus 25 minutes at this other school. I I think I'll take the other school. But it's anybody's best guess. What's Jesse Newell's guess? Find out next when he joins us. This is Rock shark Sports Talk. You
0: already know that if you need a car wash, you need to go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. They've got all the tools and expertise to keep your car clean, both inside and on the outside. You want it clean inside, because if anybody gets in your car, they're not going to want it look like a pigsty. Plus, you're going to want it clean of all those germs. You want to clean on the outside, because if you're going to be pulling up in somebody's neighborhood, maybe going to see a friend... They're gonna see the outside of your car and go, wow, this guy, he knows what he's doing with his car washes. That's because Tommy's Express Car Wash is gonna take care of you. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard. And body wax. That's right. Have it looking real spiffy. Wheel cleaning and tire gloss. Underbody flush and spot-free rinse and vacuums as well. If you're like me, you have a dog. I have a golden retriever. She sheds so much. So I need the vacuums at Tommy's Express Car Wash. And boy, do they have them. They do them right. That's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's Express Car Wash. And don't forget to download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's at Tommy's Express Car Wash.
1: What if nobody told Bill Self about scholarship limitations? I mean, they're defying the NCAA in one way. Why not another? So we're playing by our own rules now. What are you going to do? You going to come? You going to come kick one of the guys off the team? I'll add as many players as I want. I'd imagine he knows something that we don't. But I kind of thought things would would calm down. You know, Jesse Newell talked to him last night and you can read the piece uh, at com and the Kansas City Star. He said, you know, I, I don't think we're done. You know, you just never know. With the uncertainty around the you know, freedom of movement in college basketball, you just can't ever really throw in the towel on going out and recruiting. And uh, they certainly haven't. Jalen Coleman lands the latest addition, a transfer from Iowa State, uh, originally from the 2016 class, now joining the Jayhawks. Where's that spot coming from? Jesse Newell, Kansas City star, joins us now on the show. Jesse, uh, what's your best guess as to how they're going to make room and where that scholarship's coming from for Jalen Coleman Lance?
2: Yeah, it seems logically that um, what Coleman Lance does best is shoot the basketball. KU might not necessarily need a three point shooter if Ochayabachi comes back, but potentially if you need Coleman Lands now that might give you indication that there is some thought out there that O'Tribach won't come back. So, I would say that is probably the most likely scenario at the time. Obviously, we can, you know, concoct other scenarios if KU okay, you really need that scholarship to to figure out ways for them to get it, but um, with the movement of what's happened and with things that have happened so far and you know, you even add some of the the tea leaves there, where when, Abaji first declared for the pros, his message on social media and the like were kind of. It sounded kind of like a goodbye message. You know, I know a lot of people, even like me, kind of thought, well, maybe that's what you write anyway. But but maybe you kind of put those two and two together now, and you see him as more of a lead toward the NBA. Uh, maybe you put all those pieces together, and it kind of leads you to a point where Phil Self figured a Nojaiabaji is not coming back. He needs a shooter, and. Coleman lands is the best shooter left on the market, and that seems to be kind of a, a one-for-one swap. So we'll see how it plays out, but to me that makes the most logical sense of all the scenarios out there, and we'll see how it plays out over time.
1: You always say this to me, so I'm going to give you a taste of your own medicine. Um, <laughs> whenever I ask you a question and you'll say, you know, does it change the ceiling? Does it affect Kansas's ceiling? Does this affect the ceiling? If, we're t- if you're right, and if this is a, just a one-for-one swap for... Jalen Coleman lands and Ochai Abaji. Does removing one for the other change Kansas's ceiling next year?
2: You know, I don't think too much. I, I, I think you kind of have to look at all these things as moves together. And the Remy Martin signing to me, if he indeed comes to Kansas, it's hard for me to not see Kansas as a top five team next year. You know, even if they lose Ochai, even if for whatever reason, like if Jalen Wilson left or whatever. I mean, they just have so many players right now and so many good enough players, plus the guys you bring back that you feel good about that are going to improve, you know, just a little bit based off of what we've seen in college basketball. You know, usually when you bring guys back that are starters, they're a little bit better than the year before. So you can expect Christian Brown to be a little bit better and David McCormick to be a little bit better and Jalen Wilson to be a little bit better. And they were already pretty good players last year. I mean, we're talking about a Kansas team that, didn't finish great in the advanced numbers because of that USC dud, but still was a three seed in the NCA tournament, second best team in the Big Twelve, and you know the number one team in the Big Twelve went on to win the national title. So I, I think it's just extra security. Again, um, in today's day and age, you see how important shooting is. Some of Bill Self's best teams recently have been the ones that can really shoot. Obviously, with Coleman Lands, the question mark is going to be defensively. You know, what position is he going to guard? Will he be able to stay on the floor that way? He's not much of a passer. He turns it over some. Really, he is a three point shooter, and that's kind of what he's being brought here to do. It's just, can he do all the rest of the stuff good enough to get himself some sort of role on the court? But I was discussing this earlier today on our Sports BKC podcast with Gary Bedouin and Blair Kirkhoff. I know this is a cliche, Nick, and I feel like I've said it before, but I don't remember a team one through 13, and really you can say one through 14 with Bill Self that has this many guys. I just can't, uh, I, you know, I, I have seen some jokes out there about his Bill self trying to create two rosters and really probably could at this moment. So I don't think this impacts our ceiling. If you're asking that question, but, I just, it's really hard for me to see a scenario where KU's not top five preseason than basically every poll that's out there next year, just because even if you don't like this guy or that guy, they just have so many bodies right now that can play and have proven they can play at a mid major or higher level that uh, it's just, it's hard to concoct a scenario where you think that this Kansas team isn't going to be the top of the Big 12 or projected top of the Big 12 and then also projected at the top of the nation.
1: No coach is never going to say, we got too much talent. No, no coach is ever going to say that. we get got too many bodies. But the, the players may disagree with that, right? The guys who are there who start to look around and do the math in their head and say, where are my minutes coming from? I'm not necessarily insinuating that th- uh, somebody's going to leave as opposed to Ochai staying in the draft, but would it shock you if there's somebody currently on the roster who said, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not going to toil away on the bench here for a season when I can go play 20-plus minutes somewhere else?
2: No, it wouldn't. Um, like I said, the most likely thing seems like Ochai, but this has been a weird off season, and this, you know, Bill Self talked about this with Gary Bedore in the story you referenced earlier. Just kind of like everybody needs to get used to this reality with the immediate eligibility transfer. That this is how it's going to be. I mean, this is crazy. Kansas in the last two months has added nine scholarship players and ten players overall if you include walk-ons. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of turnover. That's a lot of different guys. They've lost five, I think, from the previous roster. And so I don't know the path forward, uh, but this does just open up a lot of different doors, if you will, because what you're talking about here is, okay, maybe there's a guy even now who signed up with Kansas says, hey, I, I don't like my position now. Things have changed under my feet. I want to transfer. But you potentially could even be talking about You know, let's say whatever happens this next year, KU has a pretty good team, but there's four or five guys that thought they were going to play early on, they didn't play, and they decided to transfer out. I mean, what's stopping Bill Self from doing the same roster overhaul next year and saying, "Okay, who's the best player on Drake? You know, who's the best player at Arizona State? Who's ESPN came out with their top 10 transfer portal ranking? Who's who's the top 20 there? You know, I mean, I don't know if this is the new reality of college basketball, but. It's just strange because it doesn't seem like Ku or any of the top coaches out there really have to completely cater to the freshmen anymore, the incoming freshmen. Because it used to be that was kind of your main talent pool. Now with the transfer portal out there, it's sort of like you can just immediately fill up with those places, and and they're immediately eligible, and you can go out and grab people that way. So. Uh, it might fundamentally change the way we think about these off seasons, and might fundamentally change the way that transactions happen. Because, as we just talked about, for KU to have fourteen or fifteen different transactions on its basketball roster in the last two months, that's pretty nuts. But maybe that's the way forward. Maybe that's the way things are now, with when players have more rights and are more freely able to transfer. But yeah, it will be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Because I think you're right. I think there's some guys that probably a couple months ago thought their rules with KU are a little bit different than what they think right now. So. They're going to have to battle for their minutes, and I'm sure as every season happens, some guys will not get as many minutes as they think, and um, so that will play out in a certain way, and we'll have to wait till next off season to see uh, how all that kind of you know figures itself out or shakes its way out. It always does, but um, yeah, I would think different roles right now than a lot of guys were expecting coming into the season.
1: How big of a get is Remy Martin for KU?
2: Well, I think for Bill Self. It's exactly what he wanted, hoped for, the best he could have hoped for. You know, he was, you heard the Tai Tai Washington quotes and saying, hey, you want to give me the keys to the program. And they thought, felt like they were a point guard short this past year. And obviously, not having that on ball guy who can score, create his own shot, get late shot clock bucket, make threes. I mean, that's what they missed last year. Mark scare was an amazing defender, but. It was just a very difficult fit offensively when he wasn't able to create and pick and roll settings and not able to create for himself. And that's why you saw the worst offense of the Bill Self era this past season. So Bill Self obviously wanted to get back to more of what he'd seen with Devon Dotson, Tron Collins, Tyshawn Taylor. Those guys could go create for themselves and others and kind of made KU's offense sing. So if you're looking out there, I mean, ESPN's Jeff Porzello had Remy Martin as the number one player in the transfer portal. I mean, Hillself missed out on a few of those guys earlier, and he ended up with the number one guy uh, at the very end, at least according to one ranking. So I, I bet he can't feel much better about that. Uh, you know, getting that guy in, a guy that can score, you know, has done it for four years, can make outside shots, made 35% of his freeze last year, can get to the free throw line, create for all those, all those sorts of things. Not super amazingly efficient um, in there, but again, a two-time All-Pac-12 first-teamer. So uh, about as good as you could have done with that. For Kansas, um, you know, I don't know if that lifts them the conversation to number one or number two. You know, Gonzaga, UCLA, Michigan kind of seemed to all circulate in that top. But for what Bill Self was looking for, I, I think that's about as perfect of a fit as you could have gotten. And we talk about ceiling and floor. You know, I, I don't. I was still pretty sold on K being a top five preseason team, even without Remy Martin. Um, maybe not so if Ochai Abaji left, but he Remy Martin definitely improves their floor. Like I said, now they can lose a guy or two. And you still feel really, really good about the top seven, eight, even 13, 14 on KU's roster. So it's a big time get. And again, as long as he doesn't declare pro and, and leave KU at the altar, that's going to be uh, a pretty uh, amazing transfer in for the Jayhawks. But um, does it make him number one, number two? Probably not. But I think it definitely solidifies him in the top five if there were any questions about that going in.
1: Would you be surprised if he did stay in the NBA draft? I would be at this point
2: just because um, of what he told Gary Vador and our story that we had up at the Star. Just he had a quote basically saying, "Hey, it sounds weird to say I I want to hear feedback that tells me to go back to college, but that's kind of the way I'm feeling right now because I'd love to play at the Fieldhouse. I've kind of liked KU from afar. I've wanted to, you know, see what it's like to play for that program and Allen Fieldhouse, all those sorts of things. And it's kind of a 180 from what his dad said the week before, which was that Remy's main thoughts were declaring pro and becoming a a professional basketball player. So, you know, these things change over time. And obviously if he hears certain things in that process, that could change his mind again. And it it wouldn't be completely unheard of, but I guess you go based off of the last thing you hear. And the last thing we've heard from Remy Martin is he really wants to spend his last year of collegiate basketball or his extra year of collegiate basketball playing for Kansas. And um, if we're to believe that and the words from his mouth, then yeah, I guess at this point I'd be surprised he doesn't end up at Kansas, but I would have been surprised a week ago that he was at Kansas or that he wasn't going to turn pro. So these things can change in a hurry, and I guess we'll wait until the whole process has played out to officially declare him a Jayhawk. But at this point, I would say that he's more likely than not going to end up in Lawrence.
1: Okay, so you got Remy Martin, uh, Joe Yesifu, Christian Brown, uh, Bobby Pettiford, Dewan Harris, now Jalen coleman lands. You got uh, a lot of different names there in the backcourt options than you had a year ago. I don't know exactly who's going to be starting and who's going to be playing how many minutes, and we still don't know what's going to happen officially with Ochai, but what style of play does does that lend itself to, at least specifically when we're talking about uh, the backcourt and who's going to be taking the lion's share of the minutes at the guard spots?
2: Well, I think for Bill Self, it just makes it easier. You know, it, it's fascinating if you look at kind of what college basketball and the NBA goes to because – you do have a kind of a wide range of philosophies out there. You know, some guys, you basically get in actions where it's read and react, and you let your players play, and you trust them to make reads. And, you know, Bill Self has some of that in his playbook. He has a pretty wide-ranging, you know, variety playbook. But over time, he also has been a guy that loves his set plays. You know, they've run similar set plays, get their big men open looks and angles at the basket for a long, long time. So he definitely likes to control the game in that way as well. I just think for him, it's going to relieve a lot of pressure because um, even when he tried to micromanage last year's offense, it just didn't work all the time because KU, and we talked about this so much, they were missing one main guy. They were missing one playmaker, one guy who could go get his own bucket, one guy who could create for others, one guy who could make things simpler for others, Bo Chai and Jalen, and even Dave McCormick. Um, Dave McCormick took on a big role, but it was because he had to. Basically, you know, nobody else was shooting the basketball. So, if they could get you know a guy like Remy Martin, who at least can come in and you put him in ball screen scenarios, and he can find a guy on a roll. You know, get easy buckets for Dave McCormick. He can find Christian Brown, and so Christian Brown can focus on being a spot up shooter and not having to drive all the time. Um, those sorts of things. Then I think you're going to allow yourself your Kansas to run more actions rather than specific sets, you know, it built up doesn't have to try to to squeeze every ounce of this by telling David to go here and Christian to go here and, and do this on this play. And this is why it should open up. It's like, Hey, go run some ball screens, go see what happens, you know, read the defense, see what they're giving you. Uh, go out there and score that way. And, again, uh, if you look back, I mean, it can make things a lot easier for coaches. I mean, how many times does Frank Mason just go get a bucket? You know, that's why he was player of the year. You put, give him a ball screen, he'd read it, he'd go around it, he'd shoot a three, he'd go to the lane, he'd get fouled. He just made the whole offense easier because that was his skill set. That's what he did. And so uh, I figure they're going to put the ball in Remy Martin's hands a whole bunch and let him go to work. Uh, yes, Apu is a little bit less of a true point guard, more of a shooter, but again, if you can find him on the perimeter, um, that's great too, and so I, I think it's the offense from last year will be improved just because those guys that were out there doing maybe a little bit more than they were capable of won't have to do that with some of the playmakers brought in, and um, okay, you can play a little bit faster and also will be a lot better at the end of the shot clock. I know that's bothered Bill Self here the last couple of years, so if nothing else improved, again, this this past year was the worst offense statistically Bill Self has had, and so uh, obviously, that's stuck in his crawl in the offseason, and that's part of the reason that KU has nine new players, including a tenth as a walk-on. Uh, he wanted to reshape his roster. He's definitely done that here over the last two months.
1: So is it, uh, is it safe to say that David McCormick's usage rate is set to decline a bit this season? <laughs> it can't do anything but decline, basically. <laughs> but I will say, you know,
2: it's hard for players to change their spots in this sorts of things. So. um And listen... During Big 12 play, his numbers were really good. I mean, he basically, if you just counted Big 12 play, he was an all-Big 12 first-team player because of his production and the way he lifted Kansas and made some difficult shots and was an efficient player. So credit to him for that. But I think everybody involved would be better off if he took a few fewer shots and they didn't have to rely on him to do all that he had to do last season.
1: He is Jesse Newell. You can check out his work in the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Jesse, thank you, man. Hey, appreciate it, Nick. Alrighty, That is Jesse Newell. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwert. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I feel like this is the beginning of... The story of Noah's Ark. I don't know what book of the Bible that's in. One of the early ones, right? That's Old Testament, Noah's Ark. Yes. You're familiar with the story, right? Two animals of each, two Uh two of each, you know? Um it's been raining for four days now, and I just checked the forecast. Every I don't know how long the forecast goes, but it was rain every day. Every single day for the next seven or eight days. What is going on? Is this climate change? I mean, the, technically, the climate is changing. Mm-hmm. It's always changing, you know?
0: Would you rather have this or have it be like 105 and humid? Like, well, it is humid out. No, no but it's not 105. It's 70 and humid. Would you rather be— So I would
1: rather have this or New yeah. Orleans? Yeah, sure. <laughs> this or Tampa? Uh, I guess those places— Wait, 105 in humid or 85 in humid? I, I guess no. I would rather have this. I mean, either way, you can't really do anything outside. <laughs> well, Okay, the better question is, would you rather have this or would you rather have like Arizona where it's 110, but it's dry heat? Go to Arizona. They'll always tell you about how dry the heat is. Yeah. It's, not, it's not humid down here. It's dry heat. It's dry heat. It's still 120. <laughs> you know what I'd rather have? San Diego. 75. And sunny every day. It rains. Oh, for 10 minutes and then the rain's over. And now it's sunny and beautiful the rest of the day. All right, it's Wednesday. It's time for another edition of the NFL wh- Whip Around. Let's go. Yeah! First
0: up, if then, if the guy that you constantly want to be brought up in these, Tim Tebow, is the best tight end in the NFL, then. What?
1: What? The best tight end in the NFL? Shut up. No, I'm not doing this. I won't do it. Uh, just play it out. Let's start with if he's the best tight end on the roster. Okay. Who's he got to beat out? Tyler Eifert, the oft-injured Tyler Eifert. Yeah.
0: Do they still have Mercedes Lewis? He was somebody else now. I feel like he's been there for like a decade. Actually, I think he's on Green Bay now.
1: Yeah, I think he is too. Um. They just signed. Oh, they signed Marvin Jones. That's a wide receiver. Uh. Chris Mannhertz is their starting tight end, actually. James O'Shaughnessy, former friend, mm. and Luke Farrell. So, Tim Tebow, the fourth string tight end, but would it really shock you if he beats out Chris Mannerts No, because I don't know who that is. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He caught six balls for 52 yards last year with Carolina. He could beat him out. He could be the best tight end on that team. If he did it, It would be surprising, but somehow that will become the biggest—he'll become bigger in Jacksonville than Trevor Lawrence. Imagine being a generational prospect at quarterback, the number one overall pick, and you're outshined by a tight end who hasn't played an NFL snap since 2012. Wow. That's a real possibility. So that's a possibility. Now, best tight end in the
0: NFL. What happens? What's the then? Some Tebow goes out there— 80 catches, 1,250 oh, yards,
1: statistically, 16 touchdowns. He won't get 30 catches. I mean, if he's, the best tight, if he's the best tight end on the roster, Jaguars drafting in the top five again next year. <laughs> I mean, seriously, they're a four-win team, five-win team. And I know you'd say, well, it's a tight end. Can it affect that much? If that guy is your best tight end, that would tell me you're getting no production from the tight end spot. So, you know, DJ Shark, LaVisca Chenault, I hope you guys are ready to be absolute horses because you're getting a lot of targets in that offense. If
0: Christian McCaffrey changes his jersey number to number five like he teased on social media earlier today,
1: then then I will be unaffected. I don't know why people care about jersey numbers, right? Some of these guys are coming in. I think it's Jamar Chase who's wearing number one uh, Mark Ingram is going back to number two, the number that he wore at Alabama. He didn't, though. He wore 22. Well, whatever. He's That's going weird. back to two. Maybe. Devontae Smith's wearing six, though. Yeah, who cares about this stuff? Yeah. It's cool when they do it in in college, right? So why, why can't they do it in, yeah. the, in the pros, too? No,
0: I'm convinced if Reggie Bush would have been allowed to wear five, he would have been in the Hall of Fame. He did look a lot better in five. And also, you know, we haven't seen the repercussions of this yet. But I'm waiting for our first quarterback to wear, like, 96.
1: I wait, can they? I don't think. I think there's still limitations. There's just more options. They, they don't just get to wear whatever number. Like, mm. like, a, like, a quarterback can't wear 52. Why not? Because those are reserved for linebackers and, and linemen. I thought that was the whole point of this. I thought the whole point of this no. was freedom of jersey. No, because it makes it too hard on the refs. What do you mean? Somebody's going to be wearing 52 regardless. Yeah, but it's just, come on. And it's, it's harder on the... The coaches. I assume most coaches don't know all their players' names, so they just refer to them as number. I think that'd make it easier for them.
0: Number seven. Now they can be like, okay, now I obviously re- remember this quarterback. It's number 52. You know, I'll always remember the film of watching 52. We've only back. got
1: three quarterbacks on the <laughs> roster.
0: <laughs> I love this. But I, I will say, if Christian McCaffrey changes Jersey to number five, uh, he's going to owe a lot of money, first of all. Second of all, Why is I he going to owe he has, money? Well, because they, they have to pay, like, double the amount of something— if they change their jersey number, um, they have to pay, a, or maybe it's not double the amount. They have to pay off like all the old jerseys that they had for sale with like the NFL shop because they changed their jersey number. Um, I'll say this: Christian McCaffrey changes number five. He'll have his best fantasy season ever. Look good, feel good, uh, play good. Best something fantasy like that.
1: season than when he, when he yep. went for a thousand and a thousand. Yep, two thousand, two
0: thousand. That was market pr- down. Okay. If you had to enter a UFC match with Derrick Henry, then why would
1: I who's putting these fights together? I just give you the if. I don't You don't give me the why. Yeah. The how. Uh I mean they're probably UFC fighters. I would rather fight than Derrick Henry. Did you see the video today of him squatting? There is an absurd video that is making the rounds of him just doing a little offseason workout. It's well over 500 pounds. The bar looks like it's going to snap over his neck. I'm not kidding. It looks like a pool noodle. He's squatting well over 500 pounds. He's done it before. Uh, I'm convinced this guy, who is obviously over 2,000 yards last year, biggest workhorse running back, I'm convinced he's going to be the next Adrian Peterson just in terms of the guy who defies how long you're able to play in the league. Because... If there's anybody whose body is built to withstand the beating that NFL running backs take, it's this. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I know he's not Bo Jackson. I know he's not even Adrian Peterson. But does he show any signs of slowing down? Would it shock you if this guy continues to play at an all-pro level the next four or five years? No, not at all. I, I agree
0: with you. He does seem to be more of that ilk. He does seem to be kind of the exception to the rule of the don't pay running backs after 27 years old or whatever it is. Like, yeah, I can see him doing it well into his 30s. Okay, on to the next segment. Are they good? Debates about Tyreek Hill or Randy Moss. The better deep threat. That was social media trending today. So
1: do you know who started it? It was pro football focus, and it just said, he really might be the best deep threat in NFL history. And then it was just some random guy's name and a picture of said random guy who is just like a staff writer for Pro Football Focus. But they put that on a graphic and they've got a huge following. So you tweet that out and all of a sudden it sends social media into a frenzy where people say, did you forget about Randy Moss? And yeah, honestly, Pro Football Focus probably did forget about Randy Moss. But I don't think it's also that absurd of a question because... Even if you want to say that's ridiculous, Randy Moss is clearly the greatest deep threat ever, which, again, you could because he's the greatest wide receiver at least of a generation, top two all time, if you want to put Jerry Rice ahead of him, which a lot of people would. If Randy Moss is number one, what does that make Tyreek Hill? Two? Three? Wasn't there the ridiculous stat last year that he's caught more passes over 60 yards than anybody not named Randy Moss? And you're talking about a guy who only has five years under his belt, only four of those has he been a full-time wide receiver. So we'll see if the longevity, because that's the big thing. If you want to be known as the greatest of anything, you've got to do it over a sustained period of time. I would say the first four years, the first five years, if you want to count the rookie year when he was basically a special teamer, pretty promising start. And if he were to continue that trajectory, if he did... If if what he did over the last four years happens again over the next four, what are you talking about? Surefire first ballot Hall of Famer.
0: Yeah, I just uh, no, it is not good. It's a it's a stupid debate. It's just I, I hate all these debates just in general that are like oh
1: is this guy better than this this guy better than this. Well, it's this? worth like, noting that they knew exactly what they were doing when they put oh, yeah, that out so That's all they want is to start a conversation. So even if people are telling them how stupid they are, I can't believe you need to ask it. All they wanted you to do yeah. was get angry, react, and continue to bring eyeballs onto their platform. Which is why I just, I don't know, I can't, I, I just
0: don't really care about it. It's not that it's like bad or it's not that it's good. Mm. I, I do just, care. I just don't really care I about it. I do care. I well, do care. This is not do we give a bleed. So, all right. Hurting others' feelings. Is that good? Context. Uh, Bear safety, Eddie Jackson on Justin Fields. This was on an Instagram live when they drafted him, but for some reason, I just saw it. Um, He said on the video right when they drafted him, about time we got us a real, and then he started to say like quarterback and then he kind of faded off. You didn't hear him finish the sentence. Kind of stopped himself on the Instagram live. So if he's saying it's about time we got a real quarterback, what does that mean for Andy Dalton, Nick Foles, Mitch Trubisky? He's hurting their feelings.
1: Oh, okay. So that's why you asked. Is, is it good to to hurt other people's feelings huh. in general? I would say no, but at the same time, it does. I mean, those three guys that you named: Andy Dalton, Nick Foles, Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky is probably most likely to actually have any reaction to this. I doubt I doubt Andy Dalton or Nick Foles will ever hear about it. And no, it's actually. I don't think it is all that hurtful considering Nick Foles got a pile of cash to be. Just a guy. Wasn't it Jacksonville who paid him like 20 plus million dollars a year? I don't think you can do anything to hurt his feelings. Again, Andy Dalton, mere months ago, was QB1, got a nice little contract last year from the Cowboys. It's not nice. It's not good to hurt other people's feelings, but also I don't feel bad for these guys in the slightest. So you do think it's good to hurt people's feelings? Yeah, I do. In this case. Okay. I think honesty is key there. Wow. It's kind of rude.
0: 2022 NFL mock drafts. Are they good? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Who ah. they got going number one?
0: Just depends who you look at. Spencer Rattler. Uh, yeah, that's some of them. Some of them have uh, Sam Howell, quarterback for North Carolina. Some of them have that uh, Kayvon Thibodeau guy for Oregon, defensive end. Is uh
1: is next year supposed to be a down year, draft wise?
0: Well, for what? I mean, it all it
1: runs in cycles
0: with the. There's so many players in the NFL draft. It's not like the NBA where it's like. I mean, I guess there are down drafts, but it seems like from what I've scoured on, because I've looked at way too many of these than I should, um, there are like four or five quarterbacks who are supposed to go in the first round. There are a lot of defensive players and a lot of offensive linemen. So take that as you will. There are not a lot of skill position players from what I've So I it's a down year. Sure. No sexy picks. Like the top receiver was Chris Olave, who would have been like a second round pick this year. Mm. For Ohio State.
1: That's it. Jamar Chase going top five this year. We yeah. had a tight end going to the top four. So if you're telling me I'm not going to have tight ends and wide receivers and running backs and tons of quarterbacks going in the top five, not interested. So no, 2022 mock drafts, not good, nor will they ever be until wow. I get some more sexy picks near the top. Better than Kirk Cousins. Joe
0: Burrow is expecting to be back for week one for the Cincinnati Bengals after his season-ending injury last year. Is he going to be better this next year off the injury than Kirk Cousins?
1: Okay, so he only played 10 games last year. We got injured in the 10th game. 13 touchdowns, five interceptions for Joe Burrow. Problem for Burrow, and he had, I think, three rushing touchdowns as well, is he was playing behind one of the worst offensive lines in the league. He got sacked 32 times, 32 times in 10 games. That's an issue. And I don't know if you guys have picked up on this yet. I may do a deep dive on this later in the offseason. There's a direct correlation between how often quarterbacks get sacked and their ability to um, have long careers in the NFL and be productive throughout the NFL. So that offensive line is going to need to improve to bring the best out of Joe Burrow. But if he would have played a full 16-game schedule, what's that put him at? About 20 touchdowns, about 7 interceptions. That would have been a really quality rookie season where you sort of try to protect this guy as much as you can. Uh, you add Jamar Chase, you go out and you get Riley Reef on the offensive line. Like, you should be tangibly better next year than you were a season ago. But are you going to be better than Kirk Cousins, who, again, statistically coming off a career season, I don't think quite there. I mean, Kirk Cousins at this point, I think he's a borderline top 10 quarterback in the league. Joe Burrow hasn't proven that yet, so I, I give Cousins still the slight nod.
0: I'll go Joe Burrow. I'll go out on a limb. I don't yeah. know. I just—sexier, maybe. That's really brave of you. Yeah. Matt Ryan, uh, there was an ESPN story said he has a lot of good football left. So is there enough good football left for Matt Ryan to be better than Kirk Cousins this year, going on age
1: 36, 37? Yeah, going on age 36— And hasn't had a winning season in going on three years now seven and nine, seven and eight, four and 12 last year. Again, I'm gonna go back to the history book. There's usually a direct correlation between quality quarterback play and team success. Yet, despite the competitive statistics from Matt Ryan, the team just hasn't looked that great. And I mean, who has better weapons than Matt Ryan? Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, emerging as a legit number one last year, and now you add Kyle Pitts to the mix? I'm going to say no because it won't matter because they're going to lose games again. You know why they're going to lose games again? Because they drafted a tight end in the top four, and that's not what good teams do. So organizationally, I don't think they're very sound, so I don't think they'll win games, and it's... Impossible to look at a quarterback and say he's great on a team that's winning five or six games. It just it, you never do yeah. it. No, it's it's very hard to look at that the roster
0: and, and name all those guys you just named and say, well, how are they going to be bad? And you, you get a new coach in there, so maybe that brings in new energy. But guess what? You could have said the same thing last year. Mm-hmm. You could have said, well, they have revitalized energy. Dan Quinn coming back, they they basically got him his job back after the hot run to the end of the year before. They still have Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, you have Todd Gurley, and it's all these names, but didn't really result in anything. So um, I don't know why this turned into a Falcons thing, but, but as far it is, as Matt Ryan versus what, that's, Kirk that's, Cousins, yeah. I kind of think Matt Ryan's a little bit better.
1: Seeing Matt Ryan's putting up comparable numbers on I the Vikings. I think
0: what it is, like Matt Ryan is probably going to throw a little more interceptions. Kirk Cousins might be a little more efficient, but I feel like in that big game, I know this is what it comes down to a lot with Kirk Cousins, if it's like a close thing, is who are you going to trust more in a playoff game? Matt Ryan's won... I don't know, maybe a handful of playoff games. Yeah. Into a couple NFC championships, been, been to Super the Super Bowl. Bowl. So, I, I think in that regard, I'd go with Matt Ryan.
1: I think we may have seen Kirk Cousins turn the page wow. on his career. That's right. Maybe entering maybe entering the Matt Ryan stage of his career. MVP, you're calling that? I'm going to need to get some odds on that. Oh. All right, who's older? New England. Went 5-0 last week, by the way. Did you?
0: Yeah. I thought you went 4-1. 5-0. New England quarterback, just re-signed him, Brian Hoyer, the football destroyer, or <laughs> Philadelphia center,
1: Jason Kelsey. They're both up there. They're both up there. I'm going to say they're both mid to late 30s. I'll give Kelsey the slight... No, no, no. no. I'll say Hoyer, actually. Second thought. <laughs> oh, wow, that was close. Hoyer's 35, Kelsey
0: is 33. New York Giants quarterback Daniel Jones or newly acquired via trade Philadelphia cornerback Josiah Scott?
1: Daniel Jones is 24-25, um, so I'll say that Josiah Scott is older.
0: <laughs> Josiah Scott is 22. Daniel Jones wow. is 23. Mm,
1: 23, Tam- young.
0: Tampa Bay wide receiver Antonio Brown or recently released quarterback from the New York Giants? Joe Webb. Yes, he was on the roster. Really? I'll go Joe Webb. Joe Webb is 34, Antonio Brown 32. Jared Goff, Detroit Lions quarterback, or newly signed Philadelphia offensive tackle, LaRaven Clark.
1: LaRaven? Jared Goff's going to be 26. Yeah. I'll say he's. You're going to give me that. He's 26. I'll say he's older.
0: Off 26. LaRaven Clark, 28. All right, this is for a winning week. Atlanta running back Mike Davis. Did you see the pictures of his thighs, by the way? No, I heard he's massive. Oh, my goodness. Or Cleveland director of high performance, Sean Holes.
1: Of high performance? What is that? That's what the title is. Give me Mike Davis.
0: Mike Davis, 28. Sean Holes is fifty. That's a losing week. Yeah, rough for you. I haven't All right. had one of those in a while. Last segment. Where are they at? See if you can redeem yourself. Former USC star wide receiver and member of the Jaguars and Patriots, Marquise Lee, signed a deal this week with the team in the NFC. Where are he
1: at? I'm going to say that Marquise Lee signed a deal with the Seahawks.
0: At the right division. Ah. San Francisco.
1: Yeah, man. I was close, so that's where Marquise Lee at. And that's your NFL whip round. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk. Major championship week in golf kind of snuck up on us because it's the PGA championship and it's at a new time. So I guess it's just not going to be wrapped in fanfare like you have with the Masters right after the NCAA tournament in April every year or the British or the U.S. Open. Right, The PGA Championship's always been the fourth major, but it's still a major and it's at uh, a really, really cool venue the 103rd PGA Championship going to be at the Ocean Course, Kiowa Island in South Carolina. And if you haven't seen this course before, it's going to be pretty unique compared to some of the courses you're used to seeing for the PGA Championship. 7,876 yards. So that's the longest course in major championship history. It's got a a really sort of unique layout. It's built basically in the middle of this marshland and right on the beach there on the Atlantic Ocean. So half the course is going to be in between these sand dunes and this marshland, and the other half is just going to run up on the Atlantic Ocean on the beach there. And what that means is crazy winds and winds that change from day to day. You've got elevated tee boxes, which makes the wind that much harder to deal with. And it's going to change from day to day. So one day you may be playing 20 miles an hour wind at your back. You're going for a drivable par four and one. The next day it could be 20 miles per hour wind in your face. And all of a sudden it's difficult to get it there in two. There's a no, number 17. This is going to be awesome because number 17 is a par three. So a closing hole that could go a long way towards determining who ends up winning the thing. 221 yard par three. It's all water on the right. You go anywhere right you're done but because of the wind and the way that it changes like today they're playing practice rounds 20 mile an hour wind in your face you can't go right you gotta carry it to 21. you had Cameron Champ who is third this year in driving distance and he's taking a 3 wood off the box for a par 3 Like it's, it's just so incredibly daunting and that's what this course is gonna do to you there's gonna be so many of these daunting tee shots where it just feels like there's nothing you can do You hit driver, you're afraid you're gonna go out of bounds, you're gonna go in the marshland, you're gonna go in the sand dunes. You lay up, well, all of a sudden now you're taking uh, five iron into this green that's sort of angled against the water, and it's got trouble on the right, water on the left, and now you've put yourself in another difficult situation. So I really think this is gonna be a real test. This isn't the type of course where you've got, you know, four inch thick rough where you just can't hit out of. Like the rough's gonna be playable. And the fairways are relatively wide, but if you start spraying and you start going errant or you just don't play the right shots into these greens, you're going to get into a lot of trouble. I heard somebody describe it as a course where you could be playing great golf and then throw an eight or a nine up there. So I, I fully expect it to be, you know, the top dogs competing as you would for any major championship. Hideki Matsuyama won the Masters. Uh... I don't know how many people are going to be expecting him to compete. He's 45 to 1, so that tells you what Vegas thinks. Rory McElroy won this event at Keyhoe Island in 2012, and he hasn't won a major since 2014. But coming off a win, now all of a sudden, he's your betting favorite at 12 to 1. Jordan Spieth has a win within the past month. He's 15 to 1. Dustin Johnson, world number one, at 16 to 1, along with John Rahm, Justin Thomas. Uh, you got Big Bryson sitting there at 18 all right well let's build a betting card Derek we haven't done this since last summer but let's do $500 of Monopoly money each you can build it however you want so you can go outright winners you can go top fives top tens you can build it however you choose but you got to spend all $500 okay
0: Uh, I'm going to put 100 on JT Justin Thomas 14 to 1 Um, he's just a really good golfer you said if you're expecting some of the best golfers there you go I always love Xander Schaffel in these big events. Hasn't really gotten over the hump, so I'm going to put $50 on him to win at 22 to one. But kind of back it up, $50 on him on a top 10 because he's played well in a lot of them. Daniel Berger, I love his composure in the big moment. Uh, 30 to one to win it. He uh, hasn't been playing as well as he was maybe I don't know several months ago, but that just lowers his odds. So I'll also back him up at a top 20 bet at $50 there. And then the last $200, I'm going to put $100. On Victor Hovland, the smiling assassin, Mm. to finish top 10. You can get that at plus 200. He's been playing really well and just kind of hanging around. I don't know if he'll be able to win, but can he hang around? I like it. And then I'll just throw some KU flavor there. $100 on Gary Woodland just to make the cut. Mm. He's made the cut in three of his last four. He uh, also has a couple top 10 finishes lately. Fifth at the Wells Fargo. Sixth at the Valero Texas Open. So I'll I'll finish out on uh, Gary.
1: All right, well, I got Justin Thomas at a better number than you, but you already put your bet in, so you can't go back and change that. I actually got Justin Thomas at 16 to 1. I love him here, and it's not just because I like the number. I mean, some tournaments you're going to get him at 10 to 1. Some tournaments you'll get him at single digits. What did I say? It's ultimate shot maker, so you can't just be somebody who's going to lay up and plod your way around this course. You have to have a little bit of everything, and you have to play it into these greens super well. He's just that guy. Like, if I'm looking at shot makers, like, can you make the difficult shots? Can you take a four iron and blast it 240 and put it where you need to? He's that guy. I got him at 16 to 1. I'm putting 100. And, I'm putting 200. I'm putting 200 of my 500 on Justin Thomas. I like Daniel Berger as well. As you mentioned, he's been playing really well. Really ever since the restart after COVID last year. He's been one of the best golfers in the world. He's just incredibly consistent. Geez, a top 20, top 15 machine. And again, he just doesn't have any weaknesses to his game. Great ball striker. I'll put 100 on him at 30 to 1. So there's $300 of my budget. Defending champ. I know it's unlikely for somebody to win back to back. Especially when they're coming off their first major win. Colin Morikawa won the PGA championship last year. But again, I'm I'm going with the same trend here. Shot makers, ball strikers. Colin Morikawa is that. I'll put uh, 150 of him at 30 to 1. So that puts me at 450. I got $50 left. Uh, I'm going all wins. I'm going all outright for the wins, and I'm going Joaquin Neiman, the Wonderkin from uh uh Chile at sixty to one. I want to get ahead of it, right? You're never going to get him at 61 if he wins a major, so I'll take him right there. PGA Championship starts tomorrow. All the coverage, by the way, on ESPN. You can watch it all weekend. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. This is Rock Jock Sports Talk.